everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions here live on our show. My name is Tina, along with my friends, that way, Jane, Wendy, my guys. Nice to see you again. Hello. Hello. So we just want to remind everybody that this is a live um, show, so we are super excited to be answering all the questions we got in this week. We love that you guys have been going to our website and submitting them. Be sure if you have a question you would like to submit officially for the show that you do so at bibleask.org forward slash live. And we're always more than happy to uh, feature your question on our show. We also want to remind everybody that we love getting um, questions live on the show and answering them on the spot. So if you have any questions or comments or just want to say a shout out, say hi, go ahead and put those questions and comments down below. We are on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're on Twitch. So we love um, getting interaction from all of our social networks as we do our show live every week. It's a lot of fun. So I just want to um, start us off with a quick word of prayer. I know we have some really great questions that came in this week. Um, so Jay or Wendy, would you mind uh, uh, say a quick prayer for us sure let's do it right, let's... heavenly father we want to thank you so much for this week that you brought us through for your continuing provision and your protection and we pray now that your spirit will dwell in the hearts of us here speaking and everybody listening that we may all be brought into one accord in your truth may only your truth be heard and may your spirit work powerfully in our lives to accomplish your will and this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Right. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. Go ahead, Wendy. <laughs> Let's get our first question up. And it's coming. I know we have quite a few, so I'm really excited. All right. So Leroy is Leroy. asking. Uh, Tina, we're getting some feedback through your mic again. All right, so Leroy's question is not a question, but did notice your misunderstanding of who Jesus was and who Christ is. I am an omnist because of all the scriptures. That's a new word for me. That is interesting. And actually, I'm pretty sure Leroy is at, um, referring to something that I said last week about Jesus, um, about him being uh, Michael, the archangel, not Jesus is not an angel. <laughs> We can't always remind anybody, we don't believe Jesus is just an angel. Jesus is God. Uh, he's divine. But I do want to address this question because I think this is kind of interesting. There's two things um, you're implying in your comment, Leroy, and I appreciate your comment, by the way. So thank you for, for letting us know your thoughts and um, kind of where you're coming from, that you're an omnist. Um, an omnist is somebody, of my understanding, is somebody who believes in all religions. And so... Um, but you said something very interesting here um, about Jesus. You said who Jesus was and who Christ is, almost as if Jesus is past tense and Christ is present. Um, and so I just, um, and you're saying you base this on scripture, but, um, and, you know, I, I appreciate, again, your, your comment and you tuning in and, you know, sharing your thoughts on this, but I will say Jesus and Christ, Jesus just means savior. That's what his name literally means. When um, Gabriel, the angel came to Mary and said, you shall name his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means savior basically. Um, and Christ just means anointed one. And so Jesus Christ, he's this anointed savior basically. 
um, is all one and the same person. There's no difference between the two. And the way I would say, you know, it wasn't like Jesus was the man on earth and then Christ is, you know, the anointed son of God now in heaven, as if it's two different people. It's not. He's one and the same. He um, and I'll show this to you from um, from scripture. If you look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse eight, it says something. Very, I think that you can't really argue with this. Um, again, I just want to show you from scripture because you're saying that you know, from scripture you're ominous. And I have to say that um, I'll address that in just a second. But as far as Jesus being past and Christ being present or future, um, I don't think that's quite accurate because if you look at Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Jesus Christ, <laughs> Jesus and Christ, Jesus is Christ, you know, one person, one being, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He's eternal. He's God. And so he has no beginning of days or end of life. We see that again in the book of Hebrews, um, talking about the order of Melchizedek. And so you know, he's from everlasting to everlasting. He's the same. So there is no difference as far as Jesus, who he is, um, past, present, or future. But I wanted to address something else he mentioned um, in Ephesians um, chapter four about being an omnist. Now, I respect your opinion, my, my brother Leroy, and, you know, whatever is your choice to make for, you know, your faith or what your belief system is, obviously, you know, I believe that God is a God of love. And because he's a God of love, he's a God of freedom. And so I respect your freedom of choice. But I will say from a biblical perspective that there is only one um, way of salvation. And um, that is in the book of Ephesians. Um, I just want to show you that really quick in the book of Ephesians chapter four. Um, as far as there being, you know, just one God, Ephesians four verses four through six. And it says there's one body. There is one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And verse six says one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Um, so basically, we see that there's only, you know, one true God in heaven. And we see that um, reiterated in the Old Testament when you look at the book of Isaiah. And I'll actually address this um, later because I saw another question that goes into it. So I'll dive into that a little bit deeper um, at another time. But, you know, basically, we're only saved by one Lord and by one Jesus Christ. And again, we see that in Acts chapter four, verses 10 and 12. And I'll just read this really quick um, before I close uh, or end my, my answer to your comment. Um, again, Acts chapter four, verses 10 through 12, which says, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Even by him does this man stand before you whole. Um, so basically, it's only by Jesus. It's Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Um, we have no other hope other than in Jesus. Um, and I apologize. Um, if you keep going again, verse 11, this is the stone which oh, it said it not of you builders or, you know, was thought of as nothing, which it became the head of the corner. And verse 12 is key. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven uh, given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name we saw again in verse 10 is the name of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ complete, <laughs> Jesus the Savior 
you know, Christ, you know, to one, he's the one in the same uh, member of the Godhead, and he's the only way of salvation. And we only have access to our father in heaven through him. And so, um, you know, while I respect your opinion of, and, you know, your choice of being an ominous, I would say that, um, you know, the Bible based on scripture is pretty clear that there is one way of salvation and it is through Jesus Christ. And while I respect all religions and I think God has people in all faiths, I do believe that there is, um, if you know the truth about who Jesus is, there's really only one way um, to salvation. It's, that's through him, Jesus Christ. Um, Jay or Wendy, any, any other thoughts on that? Nope, nope. That's very well said, Tina. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's important to note that a, a lot of religions have a lot of elements of truth within them. And so when we're focused on seeking truth, it, it can be very easy to then say, well, look, I see truth here, I see truth there, I see truth there, I see truth there, and therefore it must all be true. But there's a difference between a religion that has some elements of truth in it and the character of Christ being the, the focus of that religion and the way of, of connection to God and of salvation. And so I, I think that, you know, that's a key element for me that like affected my faith. Cause there was a, there was a point in time when, when I, I actually kind of learned, you know, I learned about a lot of different religions and, and, and saw all these different truths in it and, and kind of had that same kind of view until I started to really study the character of Christ and what the difference is between um, how Jesus operates and wants us to operate versus, you know, it's it's not a works-based religion. Unlike it's, all other religions. Yeah, it is, it is truly a faith thing. Now, it's works have their place. You know, we are supposed, if, if I, if I haven't this idea in my head that I love my husband, but I never do anything to show him that love or that respect, we're not going to have a very good relationship. And, and it's rightful to doubt them whether there really is love. Right. Yeah. And if, if he has values that are, you know, a certain character and that's what he's about. And I say, I love him and I want a relationship with him but I'm going and doing everything that's completely opposite to those values. That's that, you know, now my actions are, are saying that I don't actually really love him. I don't really, I, I don't really share the same values with him. And, and that's, I think one of the key things that we have to look at with, um, with Jesus and with the direction of our faith and the orientation of, of our faith and, and character. Yeah. Definitely. Well said. And I'm sorry. <laughs> Very well said. And if I could add one thing, something that just popped in my head um, while you were speaking as well. Um, as far as, you know, Jesus being the one way, the thing is, when it comes to Jesus um, in, you know, in context to other faiths out in the world, um, the thing is, Jesus is our is the true God. He's the true creator. And when you look at, you know, all these other faith 
faiths out there, all these other religions, you know, it's only in Christianity that we see Jesus, our creator, come down and also be our savior to redeem us back to him. And the thing is, when you understand the truth of who the true God is, that, you know, God the Father and God the Son, whom he has sent, Jesus Christ, then you realize, like, you know, there's God's people kind of like estranged members of God's family, but they're all from God. God is still the mm -hmm. creator. And why would we want to, you know, try to, you know, and again, I respect other religions, but if you really see um, the Bible as the source of truth, you, you have to understand that or accept that there is no, um, there is no salvation in any other way other than Jesus Christ, simply because, you know, he is God. And that means that all the other gods out there don't have the same power and saving power that Jesus Christ does. Um, you know, as much as God will bless people in other religions, because God cares about them, God cares about all people. Um, but that doesn't mean that he, you know, wants them to stay um, in a state of basically ignorance of him, that he wants them to know who he really is. And so in knowing God, um, like it says in John 17, three, that this is life eternal, that they would know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And so, um, you know, when we look at the big picture of things, we see, you know, that there is a God who is our creator, who created, you know, Adam and Eve, um, our first parents. And then those people, you know, made choices that weren't great. And, you know, they were basically estranged from God. And it is God calling us back to him um, through uh, basically the calling of his Holy Spirit, but also through um, the Bible that he gives us, as well as through his people that are supposed to be drawing um, others back to, you know, that one fold, that one faith, that one baptism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one other thing too, and maybe you mentioned this earlier, was, you know, if we set a trap for ants and we make our own ant traps, Wendy does, what do we use? Do we use just pure poison? Answer is no, you set the trap with the good stuff. And then like, if you have poison, you mix a little bit of poison in, or, you know, you have the trap, the snare, you put again, something good in there. And that's exactly how Satan works. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says there's a very good liar out there. Who's really good at twisting truth to lure you in. And then once he has a trap, he snaps you and gets you. So that's why we have to be exceptionally smart and critical in our thinking and not just yeah just say oh well there's truth here truth here truth everywhere therefore everything's truth we have to really say look at the whole bundle and say okay yes there's maybe truth there and but where is that taking us so definitely um that's so interesting you say that and i apologize i keep having more thoughts but i remember <laughs> there was a picture one time where there was a a man looking down um on one side and he said oh it's a nine and the other guy on the other side no said no it's a six and he's like well what's true for me is true for me what's true for you is true for you and so you know the same thing could be truth in different ways for both people and so they were like that was basically the argument of this picture but then somebody crossed out what they said and said no did you orient yourself to what the purpose of whoever wrote this number here on the floor meant for it to be is it you know in front of a door showing that it's, you know, somebody's address, like, you know, what, why was this number put on the fl floor in the first place? Like, it, it doesn't mean like, oh, well, I just saw it. And so my interpretation of it meant that it's truth. It's like, no, what did the designer say that this 
was meant to be as far as what it was, you know, what the truth is of this number. And so it was just kind of, you know, to reiterate that, you know, there's a lot of things that might seem true out there. And, and like you're saying, they might um, mix truth and error. And that's honestly the, the best way of deceiving anybody. And but we have to go based on what is 100% true and what is, you know, totally accurate. And and based on what I've seen out there and my experience, um, there's only one source of complete and, you know, truth, which is the Bible. And um, that's why we stand by it. That's why we want to share it. That's why we want to answer every question about, you know, life and religion and everything uh, based on this book, because it is 100% reliable. Amen. All right. We have I a comment from comments. Landon. Yes. Yeah. Hi, yeah. buddy Landon. Hi. Good to see you. <laughs> Landon says, says it's a blessing that there is only one way because Christianity is the only religion that it's not works-based. Imagine the hungering soul that wants answers and you tell him it's out there in the millions of gods and religious religions versus one way, one God. Well said. Um, yes. Amen. And, and he said, amen. Said yes, well said. <laughs> A discussion earlier. I think yeah. he was talking to you, Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> All God. It was at that time. Yeah. All right. Let's get our next question up. Okay. Um, so this one, uh, James is asking, I have asked that Jesus Christ come into my life three or four different times in my life. Read Sinner's Prayer. For the first five or so years, I have been angry with God and even hated him. I never prayer, prayed or worshipped during that time. In January 2022, I prayed the sinner's prayer again, and I deeply regret hating God. So I have an abundance of questions. One, was it necessary to pray the sinner's prayer, or was I still technically saved despite my five years of hate and rebellion? I never doubted he existed during that time, simply his motive. Two, Will all the times I had faith in him from the past parts of my relationship with him count towards this one? Or were they invalidated by my rebellion and reassertion of faith? Three, I'm struggling with suicide and I worry that if I go through with it, that there will not be enough fruit because of everything and I will be sent to hell because of points one and two. In my current situation, I pray and listen to recorded sermons, etc. Thank you. All right. Brother James, thank you so much for this question. Thank you for reaching out. And I have lots of good news for you. And definitely you have been in our prayers this whole week and we will continue mm -hmm. to keep you in our prayers. Um, but let's let's dive let's, in and I'll try dive. to take it question by question. Uh, so number one, um, about the sinner, is the sinner's prayer necessary? Um, I think overall, the Bible is less concerned about what sort of process or method you use, whatever prayers you say, as opposed to um, rather, who is it that has accomplished salvation? Who is it that comes from? Who must you know? Who must you have a relationship with? As Jesus says in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what is the way to salvation? How, how do you get to it? Through Christ, that is going to be the answer. Doesn't matter how you approach Christ, how you get to Him, whatever. That it's through Christ you will find salvation. Uh, and and then overall, that the process of 
what we call redemption or or being restored restoration it is a process multiple steps and so we'll look at a few bible verses and they're all going to more or less say the same thing but maybe in different ways and in different combinations but it sort of goes like this so maybe step one if there's a step one uh is you know you feel that conviction in you like you've done wrong and you need to change and as you mentioned you james for example you said you feel bad you you really um you let me try to find the word here i deeply regret hating god i think even word for word that's a great example of conviction and wanting to change the next step we'll we'll see is repentance so conviction and then repentance that's going to be actually turning away from the past ways not wanting to turn back and, and the bible used the example of you know there's a path and we go down the wrong path and god wants us to get us off of that path and onto the path that leaves leads unto life that path is christ he's the way and then prayer is a big part of this and then there's going to be public confession and 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 this is uh, often what we call baptism but like the thief on the cross he didn't have that opportunity but he did in a sense confess jesus was god and then we have uh, receiving of the holy spirit that's going to be a part of this process and he will transform us over time to be more in god's image and helps us suppress the evil within us and empowers us to do good and have the will to do good and then we must continue in the doctrine like continue learning and what we learn we apply and and all this leads to our faith growing over time a faith that will then bear fruit in works as we'll talk more about so here's a, a some verses that sort of in different ways fill in what i just mapped out second chronicles 7 14 says if my people who are called by my name humble themselves so i say that that's sort of referring to the conviction repentance process and pray and seek my faith sorry seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land so here god is promising if you do these things humble yourself pray seek his face turn from the brick ways what will he do he will forgive he promises it he will god is faithful romans 10 9 to 10 uh, paul writes if you confess with your mouth the so confession uh, and that confess with your mouth that confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart so this heart the heart aspect is very important for all of this that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved for the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation so there's an inward change and then outwardly we have to be uh, demonstrating what's going on inside and we'll talk about what you're doing doesn't save you it's reflecting the faith that saves uh, Acts 319. Uh, one of the apostles said, Repent therefore and be converted. Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. And this blotting out, hey, we'll talk about it, but I mean, if the, it's blotted out and says blotted out, it's like they never happened. It's huge. 
so that the and then it goes on so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And uh, times of refreshing can be a way of referencing also the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit being present and dwelling in us. Acts 2, 37 to 42. Um, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So this is during day of Pentecost. Peter gave the sermon. People who hear it are cut to the heart. So they're feeling convicted. And Peter goes on to say, men and brethren, or, or sorry, these people then say, what shall we do? And Peter responds, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. The promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, and we'll talk about later, how many has God called? It's actually everyone. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So, different ways, and all these things come to play. Now, James asks, was I still technically saved despite my five years of hate and rebellion? And, I mean, as we've seen here, there's not been any qualifiers as to what sins would be forgiven or not. I mean, it's sins. Sins and sins. So, Matthew 20, sorry, Matthew 12, 29, though, Jesus is a bit more specific. Um, actually, sorry, Matthew 31, verses, uh, sorry, Matthew 12, verses 31 to 32. He says, therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men. Every sin and blasphemy except for one. So Jesus says, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven of men. And we could go on and on, what is the blasphemy of the Spirit? That's a very nuanced thing. I mean, that's basically like, James, you think you were rebelling against God, but no, like, probably not. You're not going around saying that, you know, the Christians are wicked, they're evil, they have, uh, you know, false Holy Spirit. And then, you know, someone who's doing, like, you know, in the Church of Satan, those guys, you know, really have the true Holy Spirit. That's an extreme example, okay? But I don't think you're doing anything even close to that. And, and if you never repent of that, never turn around from that, and you're just so far off the deep end, you're totally in Satan's camp. Like that, that is more or less the sin that's not forgiven. The sin that you will never repent and confess. So Jesus, and, and don't, don't, Oh, go ahead, Tina. Go ahead. Tina. So just so I'm hearing you right, so I'm clarifying. Um, you're saying that the only the sin of the Holy Spirit, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the only is only when you don't confess the sin, correct? No, no, I'm not saying no, it's no, not. I'm not saying it. I mean, if you go to verse 32, Jesus says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son man is forgiven, uh, it will be forgiven him, but who speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be given him either in his age or the age to come. Uh so Again, we could go a bit more depth about it, but it, 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 
there is an element of attributing things falsely of how the Holy Spirit's acting, but I think God's still saying if you do it intently and you don't repent of it, because people who really do that intently and are so far off the deep end, yeah, they're they are beyond help. And and then there is that sin of reaching a point where nobody can, um, where the Holy Spirit just gives up. The Holy Spirit's trying to prod us, and if we keep resisting the prodding. Uh, or the goads, if you read the King James Version, um, eventually you just don't feel it, and you become cold, and then, again, the Holy Spirit will just say, okay, fine, you don't want me with you, I will leave. And that's when, again, you're pretty much in a hopeless state. Which doesn't Uh, sound like James, because James is coming back to the Lord. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. And and just don't, don't doubt God. God is not eager to torment, eager to uh, not save. It's the exact opposite. Second Peter 3, 9, Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. See, we have this word again, promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any, any should perish, but that all, all should come to repentance. God wants as many to be saved as possible. His will would be that everybody would be, except God re- respects people's decisions when they choose to totally stay in rebellion and never leave rebellion. And so let's go on now to another question thing. Uh, James, there's multiple questions James had. So James says, I never doubted he existed during that time, simply his motive. And so um, this reflects a lot of people's belief that belief in God is just believing he exists. But James 2.19 is spot on. And James says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. (laughs) You know, he says this mockingly. Oh, good job. You believe there's a God. Um, But he says, but guess what? Even the demons believe and tremble. All right. So even Satan knows. All these demons know there's a God. Yet they're going to be destroyed. They have unbelief. The question is, do you really believe that God is as God says he is? That God is love? That God fulfills his promises? That God really does want to save you? Do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that there was the Jesus Christ, the Christ who was God, who came down, who died for your sins when he's on the cross, he's there for you because he loves you, because he wants to save you, because he wants to spend eternity with you, because he wants you to be his son or daughter. Do you believe that? That is what faith really should be. That's what the Bible's talking about. Like, do you believe in God? Like, so, and then if you really have that faith, if you really do believe that God is love and God loves you, you're going to be so transformed by that love that then that love will bear fruit, as when he was mentioned earlier. That will bear fruit in you, and you should be showing that love to others. So, so James says, uh, James 2, verse uh, 20 to 26, well, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, he says, But do you know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then he gives an example. Uh, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? And we know he actually didn't kill him, but he was willing to offer his son. And by doing that, by going through the process and 
picking up the knife and knife and being willing to actually kill him before God stopped Abraham from killing his son, Abraham proved he believed God so much that he would do whatever God asked. Like that is faith. Abraham proved it by what he did. Abraham already had the faith. Abraham was already saved, but he demonstrated it by his faith. That is real faith. And, and for the record, God's not calling anyone right now to go take a knife and no, you know, and do something do, yeah. Like this. this is and for most of us, if someone tells you go do something like that, that's probably not from the Lord. That is not God at this point. Abraham knew God so well that he would know when such a crazy instruction actually actually came from God. And that was a prophetic thing towards Christ coming, which is now mm -hmm. in the past. So God is not calling anybody to yeah. that direction. Exactly. So it it's important to always remember that God is there. He's present. He wants us to be connected with him. In John 5, John 55, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in, in him bears much fruit. As you see, we cannot bear fruit on our own. We have to be connected to Jesus. And he says, for without me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything good. We can't do anything he wills without actually his help. So it's really God working through us that accomplishes the good works. So if we don't have faith, we're not going to see the works because God isn't able to do them through us. And you know, this is, I'm really glad you put this in here because this is such an important con concept when, you know, for someone who's dealing with low self-worth and feeling like their life isn't worth living or isn't worth doing, you know, existing, it's, it's a really hard place to be there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, people get there because they just, they feel like nothing they've ever done is good enough. But this is like a, like a biblical antidote here to recognize that actually like what we do on our own, like that's why it's not good enough because it's, it's us doing it. But like when we recognize that our job is just to be connected to Christ mm -hmm. and connected to his character and to his love, to his love and to just be a vessel of that love to just be in that presence and show up in that way to other people that is what gives us worth and value in his eyes and really in our own soul in our in in who we are and so we have a great purpose at that point in time and um that can help to lift us up and lift our, you know, elevate our mindset about ourselves and our value and our worth because God just says, just connect with me and be a vessel of my love to people. Exactly. And, and going back to like, this is why Christianity is different than any other religion. Is there any other religion that says that we can actually, um, we, we can not save ourselves and that we can't do any good on our own and that we just have to depend on God working through us. Yes, we have a role to play, but it's not about you. It's about who you know and what they do through you. That's, that's Christianity. And that's what's so amazing. Again, it's like God doesn't leave you out to dry. God doesn't say, I'm going to wait for you to do what's right. He says, I've already 
done everything to prepare the way for you to reestablish your connection with me. You just have to desire it and want it. And then he'll be there to graft you into him. And, and Jesus doesn't want you just do good to do good. He says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. He wants you to do that love first, have that love for him, and then do it. And that love should be in response to his love. We love him because he first loved us. In 1 John 4, 18, it says, there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And James, this verse is especially for you and many, many other people who are in your same situation because you have not yet known really the love of God. Because if you know the love of God, you're not going to have the fear, the doubts, the concerns you have now. What? So get to know Christ. Again, he is the way to salvation. He wants you to be saved. He's promised that you can have salvation if you repent, turn from your ways, seek him, remain connected in him, and cooperate with the Holy Spirit within you. So, James says, well, at all the times I have had faith in him, in God, from the past parts of my relationship with him, count towards this one. Or were they invalidated by my rebellion and reassertion of faith? So there's get Bible verse spot on to this. It's Ezekiel 33, verses 11 to 20. Long one. So it says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Right? So God doesn't want anybody to die. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn. Turn from your wicked ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? This is God's attitude again. He doesn't want anybody lost. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, the righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. So, so just because you've been a good guy in the past doesn't mean that if you go off the deep end later on, you'll be saved. Um, and... And it goes on, as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because, because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness. So just because you had a wicked past doesn't mean you're stuck with that and forever condemned. So God's saying, yeah, your past is always meaningless. God cares about here and now. How are you today? What are you doing today? Now is the hour of salvation, as the Bible says. So verse 13, it says, when you say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts, trusts in his own righteousness and commits in iniquity. So look at that. So if he's trying to be a good person on his own and do good works on his own, God says, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. It's only by faith with God working good fruit through us that that is righteousness. When you're trying to do it on your own, you're going to fail. You're not going to be doing good and, and going to end up just like the Israelites who tried to keep God's law on their own accord. And that bombed terribly. It says, but because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. So God has to be bearing good fruit in us. We have to be connected to him, having the real faith. And again, I say to the wicked, you shall surely die 
Um, but if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against them. And of course, it keeps going. But here, spot on God's showing, I don't care what you've done in the past. I care who, who you are now. Third question, or third point. So we're close to wrapping up James' questions. He says, I'm struggling with suicide and I worry that if I do go through with it, that there will not be enough fruit because of everything and I will be sent to hell because of points one and two. In my current situation, I pray and listen to recorded sermons. So first, James, good news. There's no... There's no... Thing like burning forever hell that is a myth that is a lie of satan that is plucked straight out of like greek mythology and pagan religions that actually is not what god of the bible says remember we're just reading ezekiel 33 and god says why should you die i don't want you to die and we say here the wages of sin is death and god told adam and eve the day that you you know eat the fruit of the tree of good and evil you will die there's nowhere does god say penalty is burning in sin forever and ever and ever and and yeah there's some verses that you might think look might be saying that but those are only a handful of verses and if they are inconsistent with the other 99 of the bible that's a good sign we're not interpreting correctly those other verses so god so, really, so and i think it's important here to recognize also that a lot of this death that is being talked about is like death to the soul that God has given us, death to the life that God oh, has given us. Jumping ahead, you're jumping ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, and this is why it is important to be keeping in mind it's death because Christ paid the debt for our sins. So, what did he do? He died on the cross. Christ didn't suffer burning in hell forever and ever. Like, so if if God had to pay our debt, and our debt is a burning sin forever and ever, that's what Christ would have had to do on this, the cross, and he didn't. He died on the cross. So the consequences of death. Um, and so let's talk about that now, about death. Because you're saying you're struggling with suicide. You feel like you should die. And I'm going to say this is one of those situations where that voice in your head is telling you a partial truth. Yes, we got to die. All of us as sinners deserve death and must die. Everybody dies. Question is, how and what do you really need to go through that death that, that that line voice in your head is telling you? I have good news that you can die the death you want to die and yet live. Uh, uh, you can put the you you don't want to be a part of anymore to death. You can walk away from that old you and you can be a new creation in Christ. That's what the Bible says. And it's so beautiful. And I love this. I... It's so counter modern culture. It's so counter cancel culture, which says you are that person who 20 years ago did something stupid. That's not God. God again cares about you in the here and now. And God says, I will overlook all your past sins. I will, I will love you now because you want a relationship with me. That's what God says. And God will say, in fact, I love you even when you are a sinner. For when we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. That's how he showed his showed his love for us. So let's and that I, that includes all those times that you have all those times you've talked about that you regret doing things. God actually loved you not because of those things, but in spite of those things. He loved you when those things were going on and he still loves you where you are right now and he wants you to know his love for him more than anything else and so letting that rebellious side die letting that um letting that the the inappropriate anger and hatred and disgust and those kinds of things letting those things die so that the 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 good part can live is what what scripture is calling us to giving room for the for god's love to to connect and 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 draw us near to him exactly and and i now want to turn to galatians 2 16 to 21 that i think pulls together a lot of this galatians 2 at verse 16 and jesus says or paul writes knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law but by faith in jesus christ even when he has believed in jesus christ that we might be justified by faith in christ and not by works of the law for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified but if while we seek to be justified by christ we ourselves are found sinners is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. But for, but if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgress transgressor. They're saying that don't go back to sin. You know, don't want to make, don't want to nail Christ to the cross again. But it says, but for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. So Paul says he died. He died through the law, to the law, that I might live to God. So live to whom? Is he living now to himself? No, he's now living for God. Uh, when you give yourself to God, you can stop worrying about yourself because you now belong to God. So it's now up to God to worry about you. Your problems are not your problems anymore. They are now God's problems. Think about that. Cast your cares upon him. Like, worried about your house? Like, God, this is now your house. God, you worry about it. I, this helps me all the time to get recentered and 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 all that. And now it's not about, am, are you doing good enough works to get to, sa to be saved? Now it's like, God, I'm yours now. Use me to bless others. And now you're focusing on trying to please God and bring as many other people to him. So it's a total mindset shift. And that's the state God really wants you to be in. Going on to verse 19. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. You catch that? So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. So when Christ was on that cross, you were on the cross with him. I was on the cross when he was on the cross. So we died when Christ died. So this is how that penalty was paid for sin. If we accept that. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
seed. So now that that Paul, the old Paul, the Paul was a persecutor of the church who was rounding up and trying to kill Christians or lock them up. He says, that part of me is dead now. It's dead, and now what lives? It's Christ within him. So he can now find life through Christ. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. God loves us. God loves us. I'll end with this verse here. There's so many we could keep going to James. I hope uh, we'll talk about it, how we can stay in touch and and with others too. Because um, these are important topics. Uh, Colossians 3, 5 to 12, Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. And he lists a bunch of terrible things. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all these things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, on and on and on and on. But he goes, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Wow. Can I just step in here for a second? This is so fascinating to me because you know, when you, when you look at the forms of therapy for people who struggle with mental, you know, mental illness, um, especially for people who are dealing with a mood that's just kind of swinging them around and, um, you know, causing anger and outbursts and then, you know, thoughts of suicide and this back and forth kind of thing. Some of the therapies that are most effective for that are ones that deal with compassion. And it's so fascinating to me that right here it is in scripture that that God is saying, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That is the healing antidote. When we see that we have anger about something and then we get mad at ourselves for having anger about something, as if anger is in and of itself bad, then we get hard on ourselves and we keep beating ourselves up. And that's not what God wants. There are ang there's anger that's justified, but there's often healthier ways we can learn to handle these kinds of things. and. That is what God is calling us to here. Compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we choose to focus on those things and grow those seeds in our heart and our soul, we can have life through an abundance and health through embracing and growing and nurturing mm -hmm. those parts of us. And and if we do a bit more research in the Bible, you would understand those clothes come from Christ. They're Christ's robes of righteousness that we put on. So it's not even finding that within ourselves. It's allowing God to put those clothes on us and accepting those clothes. Yep. And I also want to add to this also, um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Can we can we bring that verse up here? 
this is such an important verse to, you know, that I know has just been life-saving for so many people who have struggled with suicidal thinking. And if we can bring up Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. He, God is thinking these thoughts towards you. And in another translation, it's, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And so God has the plans for you to prosper you, to, he has hope and peace towards you. Despite all of the struggles you've had, this, this is his plan for you. And so we want to encourage you to draw near to that plan and to draw near and seek his, his love for you, his compassion, his kindness, his grace, his mercy, and ask for him to fill you with that spirit. Ask for him to give you that spirit towards yourself, toward, for everything that you have been through and experienced and done in life and also towards other people around you that's what that's what he is 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 calling you into and it's very different than what the world calls us into it's it's a it's a whole different way of viewing things but it's it's where health comes where vibrancy comes from so i hope that this has answered your question and and i also um i do want to put up here also for anyone who is you know seriously struggling with suicidal thinking um it's really important to reach out for help it, this is not a time for you to try to take care of yourself this is i mean yes you you want to do everything you can to take care of yourself but like you need support you need help and so um we really want to encourage you and we're going to put the suicide hotline national suicide prevention hotline up here that is always available to you. It's 24-7. You can call somebody and get the help, get support to get you through that hard time and get you connected with more people who can support you on your, your healing and recovery journey. And and just remember, and James, like if you haven't done it or feel like you could call be called to do it again, you can die the death God wants you to die. And and you could do it in a special ceremony that's a public confession of your faith. And will mark a special time of the term, turning point in your life, and that is baptism. That's what baptism represents, you know, mm-hmm. the going under, the dying, and being born again, a new, a new creature. Mm-hmm. And that's why God has given us that ceremony, so we can say, like, at this time, at least at a point in time, I know, I can say, I, I have died and put that self behind me. You could do it without it, but I think you might appreciate that, mm-hmm. and you could feel whatever within you being satisfied because now the old you will be dead. And it can connect you to a family of believers and supporters who, who are there then to support you and provide accountability to you in your continued healing journey. Community is so, so important when you are struggling with mental illness and it's isolating is not good. Getting out around people, interacting with people, and develop learning how to develop healthy relationship interactions is one of the most important skills to have to to combat these feelings of of 
you know, that, that, that bring you down. So we really encourage you to connect with community and, and, and develop those skills for, for, for furthering that connection with other people and nurturing that. So that's about all I have to say about that. Anything, Tina? Amen. <laughs> amen and amen. Uh, it's very beautiful. I'm a bit tearing up. But I just want to say, you know, one last thing to our, our friend James out there. You know, um, as soon as I saw your question, you know, I grabbed my husband. I was kind of needing to pray for this person. So I just want you to know, sorry, <laughs> um, James, that, you know, you have people that care about you, that are praying for you. And, you know, you have a God in heaven that loves you very much. And it would break his heart and break our hearts, you know, for you to separate yourself from him and from this world um, by taking your life. That's not his plan for you. His plan is for you to have that hope and future um, and to share, you know, the testimony you can have to other people that, you know, even if you have a past, even if you, you know, hated God, no matter what, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. He just wants you to turn to him and live. And so um, I just want to encourage you, uh, my brother James, um, that God does love you. And, um, you know, in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, um, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. It doesn't matter. All things have become new. And so you can be a new creature in Jesus Christ. And he loves you. And he wants a new walk with, with you. And, um, you know, I just want to encourage you that you can um, turn to God and to turn to people who care. And, you know, in the future, if you have, you know, other questions or just need some prayer, you know, feel free to reach out to us at Bible Ask. That's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. um, we're very grateful for, we get a lot of prayer requests. And so um, just know that, you know, we're praying for you, our brother and um, anybody else out there who who needs prayer. Um, we, we appreciate you guys reaching out and being a member of our community. So we just are praying for you again, James, and we ask that God blesses you and um, that you continue to turn to him and walk with him. Um, even when your feelings don't, don't make you feel close to God, it is by faith that we know the truth of the Bible. We know God's plan for us. We know that God says, you know, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all righteousness. And so um, no matter what, you can know by faith in your mind that what the Bible says is true and that God loves you. He has a plan for you and he wants to save you. And he has a life more abundant um, as you continue to give your life over to him. Amen. 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 Shall we move to our yeah. next question? Yeah, let's, let's do that. All right. Let's get our next question. That was a long one, but it's such an important one. And, so important. you know, I, I appreciate your, your honesty and your outreach. Or support James. All right. So in the next question, Paul is asking in John in First John 5:21, what is meant by little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. I really like this question. It's and I just a little yeah, bit background. That's, little how, bit background. That's, how, that's how this is how John ends. How John ends. I think that the first letter. <laughs> with those words like those are weird letters or letters, weird words right? to end on so tina go ahead oh we lost you your, muted. We, you're muted tina oh. you're 
Okay, fine. Am I? You're good. All right, wonderful. So I, I thought the same thing because as soon as I heard the verse, I was like, that's the last verse of that whole book of First John. And um, I thought that that was kind of an odd way to end the book too, until um, I kind of looked at, you know, what was the message that John was really trying to share in this chapter? So let's go back to John, first John chapter five, and let's look at, um, just to get some context, as far as, you know, kind of what is John talking about here? Um, and let's go to, we'll start in verses 18 and 19, if that's okay. Uh, just again, to get some context. So first John five, 18 and 19, and it reads, we know that whosoever is born of God sins not. So whoever is born of God doesn't sin. But he that is begotten of God keeps himself um, from sinning, basically, and that wicked one touches him not. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. So basically, um, John is saying, you know, that we know we're of God and um, basically those are outside of God. You know, they lie in wickedness. So basically, John is saying, you know, abstaining from sin is a sign that you are, you know, close to God. This, this is an important part of the Christian walk. And so, um, and when I thought about this, I was like, well, that's interesting. Um, and, and that's true. So let's go um, continuing in the chapter. Um, the next verse is something very interesting. And I think it's really key to understanding verse 21. So in First uh, John 5, verse 20, it says, and we know that the son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And I was like, hold on, this sounds very similar to another verse that I know is in the book of John, chapter 17, verse 3, which is my one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. And it's interesting because John wrote the book of John, the gospel of John, as well as um, this epistle, um, you know, the epistle of John. Um, and when you compare it to John chapter um, 17, verse three, where uh, Jesus says, and this is life eternal, that they would know thee, the father, <laughs> the only true God and Jesus Christ, the son whom he has sent. And so again, we see that um, John is almost referring to this. He says that we know that the son, that the son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we might know him that is true the father and we are in him that is true even in his son jesus christ this is the true god and eternal life so us being in god and being in his son jesus this is eternal life that's how we have eternal life we know him we're in him um you know we're connected to him in a relationship now when you get to verse 21 um it's very interesting that john is basically just giving us a quick warning of how to maintain that relationship so in verse 21, so he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So basically, is he talking to literal little children, like, you know, five-year-old kids in kindergarten? No, not really. He's talking about children in the faith, you know, people who are new in the faith. That's definitely who he was talking to, people who are new believers in Jesus Christ. And so when he's saying, keep yourselves from idols, well, now this makes more sense because it's like, Oh, what's an idol? It's a false God. An idol is a false, you know, a false thing of worship. Anything that distracts us and takes us away from the true God, because that's the whole point is to know and have a relationship with the true God, God, the father and his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we have eternal life. We're maintaining that relationship. 
However, there are things that will take us and separate us from the true God, and those are idols. Now, um, we know that, you know, the second commandment is, you know, don't make any graven images, which is an idol. You know, don't bow down, don't worship them. Um, God says, you know, we're not supposed to have these idols, just like pagans back in the day. You know, they would build a statue and idol and they would worship it, thinking that this, you know, false god out there like Dagon and all these, you know, um, Baal and all these uh, gods you hear about in the Old Testament as if they had some power, as if they could do something. But we know that they ha had no power. They had um, nothing at all. But yet people would pour their energy and their time into worshiping these false gods. And the thing is, it's what's so terrible about an idol is that it's taking the, the worship and the respect and the time away from the one who deserves it, first of all, the, your creator, and putting it towards something that's meaningless and worthless and can't save you, can't help you, can't do anything for you. Um, and you see this so clearly in the book of Isaiah, um, chapter 44. Uh, it just blows my mind when I read, you know, all these amazing stories um, in the Bible and how it all beautifully connects from, you know, cover to cover in the Bible. And, you know, these are written by, you know, what, over 40 authors over uh, 2,500 years across three continents, and yet it all sinks beautifully. Um, and like I said, when you see in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament, in chapter 44, um, he basically, I won't read the whole chapter because um, it's kind of long, but there's some really beautiful things in here um, about idol worship that um, how it's, <laughs> it's basically so ridiculous um, to worship an idol. And basically, um, God says, you know, speaking about these idols, it says, and the residue thereof, he make, so he's talking about this guy, basically, who finds a tree, and he's like, okay, so he take, he's cold, so he takes branches off the tree, and he uses it to heat himself, and then he, you know, takes the heat or the fire that he made from the tree and, and bakes something to eat, and so he says, oh, this, this tree is my God, so he takes the rest of you know, the tree and makes a golden or makes a, excuse me, an, an image out of it and worships it. Uh, in verse 17, it's talking about, he falls down to it, worships it, prays to it, says, deliver me for you are my God. You know, this, this tree basically just because um, the tree was able to, you know, provide some, you know, sticks for warmth and to, for cooking his food. And in verse 18, it says, they have not known or understood. He has shut their eyes for they cannot under, cannot see and their hearts they cannot understand. Um, like, do you not understand that you're worshiping a creation and rather than the creator, the one who's truly giving you provision by giving you the tree in the first place, like the tree in and of itself isn't anything. It's only a gift to you from the creator. And the, the concept of this is so interesting because, um, you know, that can apply to anything in our lives, you know, whether it's a job, whether it's a spouse, whether it's you know, anything in this life, um, you know, God gave you the job you have, but so many people worship their career. They worship this job. They're like, well, the job is paying my bills. No, God is the one giving you the money through your job. God is the one giving you, you know, oh, I, I, you know, they value their spouse above, above God and they, they choose, you know, this partner, whoever, 
or boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever, above God. And because they're like, oh, this person gives me love or they give me care. It's like, no, God gives you love and care. He might use your spouse to provide those things. But it ultimately, is it is God in heaven who gave these gifts to you. And we're, we're missing the point when we worship things that are not God. And we put other things before him, um, which, again, is an idol. And um, just in closing, one last verse I want to share, because I know we're out of time, um, which is just uh, in Psalms chapter 115, uh, verses three through nine. And I'll look at it really quick, summarize it if I can. Um, but I do want to share this with you because um, it's basically a perfect picture of, of you know, what, why idols are so ridiculous in the first place. It says, but our God is in the heavens. Um, in verse three, uh, Psalm 115, verse three, but our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he's pleased. Their idols, uh, in verse four, talking about the idols of the world, are silver and gold, the works of men, men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not, eyes, but they see not, ears, but they hear not. He goes through all these things, you know, um, hands, but they handle not. Um, in verse eight, it says something very key. It says, they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusts in them. Um, and basic, so basically if you're putting your trust and your faith in a created thing, whether it's, you know, a literal statue or, you know, just something in this world that's distracting to you, entertainment, movies, your job, you know, relationships, um, anything you prize and put above your relationship with God as an idol is, you know, basically making you, making your efforts, you know, null and void because these things, as much as you pour yourself into them, they can't give you what only God can give you. And so um, verse nine, I think is just what I'll close with. It says, oh, Israel, which means God's people. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Don't put your trust in all these things. All these things in the world can fail you. They can end, you know, as much as and loving as your spouse may be, they're mortal. They're not they're not God. They they can't give you everything that you need. As much as your job is, you know, might be something good, um, you know, jobs can end like that. Trust me, it's just happened to me. And um, it, it can happen. You know, companies can close and, you know, things can happen. But the only person that you need to be putting your full trust in is God, because he is ultimately your provider for every need you have in this world. And as you put your trust in him, um, you can have the assurance of peace and knowing that it is him that, you know, is going to not only save you and provide for you in this life, but in the life to come in eternal, in eternal life. So um, that's why that verse, I think, is there because it's so key to maintaining that walk of God that you don't get sucked into those false idols of this world and in life, really, um, things that keep you um, distracted and um, that compete in your heart for that space that only God should have uh, because those things are definitely the number one killers of our relationship with God. So I hope that answers your question and I pray that you can apply that to your life and, and keep yourself from anything that distracts you from your walk with God. Uh, Jay or Wendy, anything else? Wow. That was amazing. Don't praise the Lord. Right. All right. Let's our next and our last question up here. All right. It's a deep question. Okay. So Anya is asking, what is the biblical argument against limited atonement? The Ayana. Oh. 
All right, Ayana, I love this question. I honestly, I had to look up what limited atonement means. I had heard it, of it before, but like my church doesn't, doesn't use that term a lot. But it appears to come from Calvinism, and there might be others outside of the Calvinists who use it. And it sort of refers to this idea that Jesus bore the sins of only the elect, um, you know, those chosen for salvation, and that he didn't die and, and bury the sins of anybody and everybody. And so other words for this are particular redemption or definite atonement. Just words, right? To try to describe this concept. So we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Did Christ die for everybody on the cross or just for a few people? That's ultimately what he's getting at. So, and, and then this is one of actually the five core pillars of Calvinism. So let's look at some verses that I think might suggest otherwise. Now, there's a lot of verses that use the words elect, chosen, all that. So, um, you know, that it's an understandable where this would come from. But again, we need to look at the Bible in its entirety. All verses need to come together in a consistent whole. As Jesus says, scripture cannot be broken. So let's look at Hebrews 2 9. It says, But we do see him who made who was made for made for a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by grace of God he might taste death for everyone. I, I don't know how this could be more clear. It says he tasted death for everyone. Second Peter 3 9, we looked at this earlier today. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 1 John 2, verses 1 to 2. 1 John 2, verses 1 to 2. John writes, My little children, these things are written to you that you not sin, and if any man sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it goes on to say that, uh, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the world, or sorry, for the whole world. If we look at Revelation 22, verse 17, Jesus says, my little children, oh, sorry, uh, Jesus says, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Again, whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus says, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to, to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And, all, and I also overcame and sit, sit down with the throne, sit down with my father on him. Okay, but basically this is sort of like what Jesus also says in Matthew 24, 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Yeah, and it, it's not talking about just a group of people who got predestined necessarily will be saved. 
and Jesus died for on the cross. Just a few people. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches to us to say no to the ungodliness of the worldly passion. Oh, don't need the rest part. 1 Timothy 2, 1-8. to First of all, then, I urge the entreaties and prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men. Let's jump to verse 4. Um, oh, sorry, verse 3 says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Verse 5, For there is one God, one, one mediator also between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So I, I just, with all these verses, and there's many more, I have just as many verses I could keep going through, um, where it's just, it's showing God wanted everybody to be saved. I, I, he wants none to be lost. And Jesus died on the cross, carried all of our sins with him, everything we've done, everything we experienced, our shame, our guilt, the effects of what we did on others, Jesus took that all with him on the cross so that any of us, if we choose, can go to heaven. Christ chose all of us. It's like there's a draft. You know, we just had the Super Bowl. There's like there's a draft. We're in draft time, drafting time, and Jesus wants to draft all of us, and we're all free agents, and we start off on Satan's team, and and it's now open draft season, and Jesus is saying, I choose you. Please join my team. Everybody and, who wants to come to my team, please join yeah, my team. I've chosen you. Come, please come on my team. And it, But it's up to us to decide whether or not we go. And yeah, Jesus has certain conditions. I want you all to be on my team, but to be on my team, you need to love me, and you need to love everybody else. You need to be righteous, and to be righteous, you need to take on my righteousness, and that will I will give you, but you have to be willing to take it. Um, so, so those conditions are there, but if we basically want to be on his team, accept his gift to be on his team, and, and agree to those conditions, we're on his team, because he chose us. It's not so much that we chose him, he chose us, and it's for us to accept him. Hope that's helpful. Uh, thank you for asking, Ayana. And I think that's our last question of the day. A lot it of big sure questions. Is. A lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, again, thank you everybody for all your awesome questions and uh, great comments you've got tonight too. Um, I think it always ends up going back to you know a lot of our questions go back to the simple things like John three sixteen. You know, for God so loved the world that. Whosoever, whosoever believes in it exactly. should not perish, but have everlasting life. So um, you know, I think that's awesome. And I appreciate all your really in-depth um, verses and studies tonight. And I just want to thank everybody who's um, submitted questions and uh, we're praying for you. And I just want to remind everybody, if you have a question that you'd like answered um, on our show, be sure to go to our website, BibleAsked.org forward slash live. And we would love to feature your question on our show and um, give you a proper answer um, as much as possible. And again, um, if you have questions, uh, be sure to put them in the comments below. Um, next week, again, we are always live every Friday night at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So we hope that you are blessed by our show and we pray that you'll join us again next week. 
Um, and be sure to share our, our show and our content with your friends and family. Uh, we appreciate all our likes and shares. It's a great way to grow the ministry and share the gospel and the love of God with those around you. So um, again, we just thank you to those who are watching, to those, if this was your first time or if you're returning um, guest, we, are, we really appreciate you guys tuning in. So we hope to see you again next week at 6 p.m. Friday, Pacific Standard Time. And let's close really quick with a word of prayer. Uh, Jay or Wendy, would you mind? Heavenly Father, Lord, we Lord, want Lord. to just thank you so much for um, being with us this evening and being with each of our viewers. We thank you for showing us your love and uh, your compassion, your grace, your mercy, and your care and your desire to give us life and give us hope and restore us to you, Lord. And we just ask that you will be with each person uh, who's, who's listening today and um, bring them comfort and nourish their soul, Lord, in, in ways that only you can do, that, that each person may know you a little bit more um, today and in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you again, everybody. We hope to see you again next week. God bless you. Good night. Bye.